Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Before we get started, I want to thank my sponsor partner, the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. ACPLS provides marketing, sales, and customer service professionals an international forum for the exchange of knowledge, including opportunities for ongoing education, networking, and professional development. Those networking and development opportunities have been very valuable to me personally and I believe would be equally valuable to anyone listening to this podcast. To learn more, visit acp-ls.com. Org. And while you're there, subscribe to the newsletter to receive content and activity updates. Now, let's get back to the show. My guest on this episode is Jeff Protentis. He is a sales and marketing consultant for Genovative Solutions and a recruiter for biotech recruiters. Jeff, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. So today, I want to talk specifically about job hunting and recruiting and so for the listeners, whether you are looking to make a change or you're looking to fill a position, this episode is for you. And I'll just say that we're recording this in early January of 2016, in case you're listening to this a lot later than that. Um, so first of all, Jeff, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself as both a recruiter and as a consultant. Sure, Chris. Um, so I've been in this industry for over 30 years. I won't say how much over. Um, my responsibility has always been on the commercial side of things, uh, sales, marketing, running sales and marketing and tech support organizations, etc. I have been a hiring manager for about two and a half decades of that period. Um, I should say a hiring manager and order recruiter for two and a half decades of that time. So I have a very good sense for hiring, for what people do when they're jobs seeking, um, what managers are looking for when they're hiring, because I have probably hired in excess of 100 people. So um, between my sales and marketing experience, and uh, I've been able to take that into the consulting field, and from my hiring practices and experience, I've been able to take that experience and, and move it into the uh, recruiting field. Great. So let's focus on the uh, the job hunting and hiring side of things. And of course, when we're looking for jobs or we're looking for people, everyone thinks of LinkedIn as a source for finding jobs. But where else should people be looking either um, for positions or for candidates? Well, first of all, I want to step back and, if you don't mind, spend a little bit of time on LinkedIn because I think I think LinkedIn is a, a very good source, but I don't know if it's used to its fullest extent. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of my next question, but go go right ahead. Okay. So, um, you know, a lot of people go on LinkedIn and they, they poke around and they might network with friends. Um, but I'm going to just put together what I think is an overall strategy of what people should do. First of all, as you and I both know, and as many people know, networking is the key to finding new positions. And I think that LinkedIn is very good for that, but I think that also people need to be explicit when they, when they poke around and with the idea of the people that they're trying to link with 
And once they link with those people, you know, making them aware that they would like that person to keep them in mind for openings, because those people may get calls from recruiters and be able to say to those recruiters, oh, I know of someone you should contact. Or it may be that they work at a company where there are openings that they can tell the, the person about. So clearly networking is one key thing that, that LinkedIn exists for. But again, it has to be networking in my, with a purpose. And that's one thing that I don't know that enough people do. The other thing is that there are, there are a number of other resources in LinkedIn. Um, discussion groups are actually a great resource that, that for job hunters. So there are a lot of discussions groups with a lot of different focuses. So let's say you, that you're looking for a job in the next generation sequencing field. There are probably 10 or 12 discussion groups that are, that, that are focused on the next gen sequencing field. So there's two things that I tell people that you should do, actually more than two. First, um, you should join those groups and look at the jobs postings. Now there are actually two different places on a discussion group that jobs are posted. If you click on jobs, you'll see some jobs listed. But if you click on jobs discussions, you'll see even more jobs listed. The ones that are in the jobs discussions are ones that are put, put up by recruiters and by other people, whereas the front page jobs are those that are paid for. So you'll certainly find a greater number of job opportunities if you look at job discussions. Okay. The, the other thing is that um, you will find, by, by virtue of looking at the members of the group that you've joined, a lot of other people that are interested or part of the same field that you want to be part of. So it gives you more focused, um, it, it gives you a list of names of people that you might want to network with and, and link up with because they, have, they are in the next-gen sequencing field. They may be hiring managers or, again, part of a company that would be hiring. And then finally, I tell people that you should actively participate in as many discussions as possible. The reason for that is twofold. First of all, you can show people your acumen and your knowledge by, you know, adding to a discussion or, or, be, or starting a discussion that ab about the field, about the product area that you're interested in becoming part of. But also, like anything, the more you do that, the more you stay in front of people's minds and in front of their eyes. And if they happen to be hiring managers, they will see your name repeatedly. And then when a job comes up, you know, timing is everything. If you've recently communicated and they are starting to look, your name will be in front of them and it will present an opportunity. So discussion groups are extremely good and I think an extremely underutilized resource for people searching for positions. Right. So I have two questions. One is on the first part about just the networking with a purpose. Because... As you say, timing is key, and I've had recruiters call me, and it's rarely right after someone else has asked me about a position, right? Right. And, and so how, what do you recommend to stay in front of those people you're reaching out to? Um, and it sounds like you know, you're, you're suggesting that people connect with people um, beyond the, the people that they regularly work with to right. – and, right. and so how do you stay in touch with them? Well, the easiest way is to post updates um, on, your, uh, on your profile. So, you know, you have the opportunity to go in and share an update anytime, you know, you want. And so one thing, and if you share an update, everybody that you're connected with is going to see that update. Now, of course, if you're connected with hundreds and hundreds of people and they're connected with hundreds of people, 
your update may or may not get seen, but but you know by doing that, at least some people will see your name pop up on the screen. And again, you know that might spur them to think, oh, there's somebody I should contact. In fact, Chris, there have been a couple of candidates that I've found that have gotten jobs that they popped up on my LinkedIn feed, and I thought, oh, that's somebody that I should contact. So that's that. You know, clearly it has worked, and I would say it does work. Um, and then, you know, as far as networking with a purpose, you know, again, you might want to look up people that you can look up companies, but you can also look up people that work for those companies. And you might find out, let's say, if you look up, you know, Illumina, since that's a next-gen sequencing company, and we're talking about next-gen sequencing, you might see that you have a bunch of second-level um, connections that work at Illumina. And you might find out that four or five of them are people you actually know. And therefore, you know, linking in with those people is a good way to, as I said, you know, link with a purpose. Nice. Yeah, I like that. And, and when you mentioned putting updates on your profile, because I, I do this reasonably regularly, I think my advice, and I'm not a recruiter, but just with respect to LinkedIn, you probably can't do it too much because as you say, other people are posting things as well and those kind of dilute the feed. So you have to get in there pretty frequently to be seen and it's unlikely that someone's going to say, gosh, that person is just posting way too much. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. I, I, I do agree. There, you know, there may be some people that post way too much, um, but it, it, it takes a lot to overpost because, you know, I, you know, if you have hundreds or in many cases thousands of connections, you're not going to notice that somebody has been posting very frequently or too frequently. So, uh, you know, in fact, I would say post as frequently as you can because it's going to be hard to get above the baseline noise unless you do that. Right. So, yeah. And, you, and of course, always post good content. But Of course. Good yeah. content, something meaningful, you know, a promotion or, you know, if we're talking about someone that's looking for a Marcom position, you know, a, a recently successfully concluded marketing campaign that you, that you executed, something about it that doesn't quite look like self-promotion, but frankly, it is self-promotion because just like a salesperson that's trying to sell their product, you know, this person seeking a job is trying to sell themselves. So, uh, you know, it's okay to do a little bit of self-promotion. Just don't make it, you know, overly salesy, I guess. Right. And then in re with respect to the discussion groups, any suggestions for starting a discussion? Because I, what I've noticed lately is that the level of conversation has gone down. I see a lot of people starting things, but I don't see as many follow-up discussions. Now, maybe I'm looking in the wrong groups, too. But No, I think, I think you're right, Chris. I think a lot of people belong to a lot of groups. So I, I would suggest two things. One is to share information. You know, you may, you may have seen something interesting in, in a publication or some piece of information that other people in the group might be interested in. You're not, you're not, in that case, soliciting conversation. Maybe somebody will respond. Um, maybe a couple of people will like it, which, of course, gets you sort of double-level exposure. Um, but if it's an informative piece of information, it shows that you're up-to-date in the field, that you're knowledgeable, and, you know, people will hopefully notice it. Not all, of course. Right. The other thing that you can do that I, I've seen 
gets a bit more response is you can actually start a survey instead of starting a discussion where you, you know, you give people a, you know, select from the following, you know, what do you find is the most effective for creating new leads, as an example. And then you can give, you know, four, five different things and let, it's more likely that someone's going to be able to, is going to click on something and select one of those as a discuss, you know, as a response rather than giving a long thought out and typed out answer. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that one. Okay, so any any other suggestions on LinkedIn, or should we talk about other places to to look? Final final thought on LinkedIn is, um, in addition to you know posting updates, there are things that you see as you look at other people's updates that you might want to share. And again, all of the people in your in your network will get that. And if it turns out that it's something you know, that's pertinent, again, to your field that shows that you're knowledgeable, you know, that way you don't always have to be coming up with original um, content in order to be able to get, in order to get yourself in front of other people on LinkedIn. Sharing something that somebody else posted still gets your name and picture up on LinkedIn and in front of your, your contacts. So it's a good way, it's another good way to get um, your self-exposure, as, as, would, as would be commenting on somebody else's post. Because all of those things get your whole network alerted that you're that you've done something, and they can look at it if they want to. Right. Okay. Yeah, I like that. So, where besides LinkedIn, um, what other places should people be looking for that they might not typically think of, or even if they do think of them? Well, there's a there's another um, list called Indeed.com. Um. And there are some other job posting uh, places, but I think that probably between Indeed and LinkedIn, you're getting most of what you want, what you're going to need. There are other sites. I mean, clearly you're not going to go to Monster or you know some other things like that because those are those jobs are generally low level and um, you know not necessarily focused on life sciences. But I think between Indeed and LinkedIn, you're going to you're going to you're going to find most of what's available out there. The other thing, though, that I tell people is that a lot of companies use internal recruiters. And while internal recruiters do post, um, a lot of times you're going to, if, you, if you're doing a job search, you're going to want to think about what companies you might want to work for that might not be posting positions on LinkedIn, that might just be putting jobs up on their websites, and go to those websites and, and look. For, the, for jobs, because not every company posts positions. Not every company. Not every company uses recruiters. Some of them put put the site the the. Sorry, Chris. Uh, some of them put the job link up on their websites, and they are you know they, they leave it up to the candidates to find them and see if there's a job that they're interested in. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I've used Indeed. It's been a long time, but. Um the the experience on it I, I remember as being a pretty good one yeah, as far as searching and and so on so yeah there's certainly a lot of jobs listed they're generally not listed by geography so you have to sort of poke around and figure out which ones fit but there are definitely a lot of positions and you can you can put in criteria for your search so that you can look for only marketing positions or whatever and not be inundated with the literally hundreds or thousands of jobs that are posted on, on 
Indeed. Right. Okay. So let's talk about skills. So you mentioned um, you have some thoughts about some skills that are less common but might be very important to hiring managers and job seekers, if they have those, should definitely work them into the conversation either through the resume or in an interview. What what are those? Well, there's a, there's a number of ways to answer that question. The first thing I'll say is that, um, as might be expected, people are looking for technical acumen. I have had people that have a bit of scientific background and great marketing experience, but they are simply not, you know, they're not really pursued with any vigor by the hiring company because they are looking for particular experience and particular knowledge. So, you know, people that, that have that knowledge um, are going to, you know, if there's two, if there's two candidates, one of whom has extensive technical knowledge and one of whom has limited technical knowledge going for the same position, clearly the person with extensive knowledge is going to, is going to have the edge. If you, you know, a lot of that is based on experience, but you can also do things like reading, studying, and learning, and somehow you know work that into interviews, into conversations, into cover letters, or whatever, to show that beyond your work experience, you've gained a lot of technical knowledge by whatever, by talking, to, working with people that are in the field, that are you know by reading, by following you know blogs. You could even, for instance, if you're writing to a company, you know, directly, you can say, you know, do things like, I saw the recent publication about your company, et cetera, et cetera. So it shows them that not only are you keeping up to date, but you know specifically about their company and their company's accomplishments, which are going to, you know, potentially separate you from the rest of the crowd, so to speak. Right. Okay. The, the other thing is that is... Um, Companies are looking for a breadth of skills. You know, even though you might be looking at a product manager job or a marketing manager job, people like um, candidates that have come that come to the table with an array of skills. Because we both know, as most of the candidates that are listening will know, that that just because you're hired as a marketing manager doesn't mean that you'll be boxed in necessarily to doing just that, that that you have to wear multiple hats. And if you've already worn those hats on other occasions, even if it's not, even if it was only a part of your job and not even part of the official job description of what you were hired to do, emphasize that as a way of showing people that you're well-rounded and bring more skills to the table than simply what is required or what is mentioned in the job description for the position you're seeking. Right. Yeah. You know, I have a little bit of experience with that from hiring people and it definitely sometimes you're putting together a team and you you're looking for a specific thing but you realize that there are other things you might like to have or ways you could redistribute the work in your team if you found out somebody was exceptionally good at something that maybe someone you already have isn't as good at and you could shift a workload around or something like that. That's well, that's right. And I, I will, I've created a lot of sales and marketing um, organizations and, you know, especially when I was working in startup companies, my first hires were people that I had hoped would be able to assume leadership positions somewhere down the road. So if I was hiring a salesperson who happened to mention in their resume that they helped train and mentor new salespeople, 
that shows, you know, a leadership capability. So if I was looking for, you know, perhaps a year or two down the road to try to move one or two of my salespeople into a manager role, well, when I'm looking to hire that the salespeople, someone that has experienced that and has shown the initiative to do that is going to stand out for me versus someone that, you know, yeah, has been a successful salesperson, but hasn't taken any initiative or had the opportunity to do any mentoring or teaching or managing of other people. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, so you mentioned also previously that there's been a shift in the hiring process of late. Can you explain that and the market dynamics around that? Yeah. So the market dynamics have changed a lot over the last year to year and a half. Um, after the downturn in the economy and the cutbacks in NIH funding, a lot of companies were laying off very talented people and they were doing very little hiring. So companies were looking for extremely good people at moderate salaries and getting plenty of applications. It was a buyer's market. That has changed. And now I'm speaking now to both candidates and hiring persons because hiring persons need to think about what they're looking for and perhaps moderate their, their expectations or perhaps think about adjusting the salaries that they're offering to levels that were pre-2008. Because um, a lot of a lot of companies, because of the downsizing and the glut of great candidates on the market, they were looking for people with seven to ten years of experience and paying them at levels that previously might have been for somebody with three to five years of experience. Well, now that now that we now the market has shifted, um, the, the it is now more of a seller's market than a buyer's market. So there's mo more positions available than there are qualified candidates. That has two ramifications, and first I'll talk about the ramifications for the hiring person. You have to think about the amount of money that you're paying and the amount of experience and, and capability that you're looking for. If you're paying a moderate salary and you're looking for someone, you need to think about that matching the expectation of their skill set and experience to the salary level. Because and how that has changed over the last 18 months. 18 months ago, you could have hired a very good person at a very moderate salary. That won't happen anymore. As far as the candidates are concerned, they 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 can understand that number one, um, there is more demand out there, so that they can look for the right job for them, and they can be selective and pick a position not just because they need a job, but because there are positions available that they're qualified for, and there's going to be more positions available for them. They can also look at positions that this, where the salary might be below what they would expect, but that, the, that they, the company that's hiring will probably realize that in order to get someone of this candidate's caliber, that they're going to have to do something about the salary. And I've seen a lot of companies doing that. They interview people, they find out this is a great person, but now they have to pay more than they had expected, and they're doing so in order to get that great person on board. So candidates, you're saying, should not ignore job postings where the salary looks like it's a little bit below what they were expecting. Yeah, I think, you know, I always tell candidates to be open 
to having discussions. And just like, you know, in sales, and, and, you know, we again, we are talking about a sales process. You know, you might be talking to someone as a salesperson about a product that's outside of what, they, what their budget was. But you might convince them that they need this product so badly that the, that the, the customer is willing to pay more. It, it, the same thing happens in, in, in hiring. You know, they, companies can say, well, this is my budget. And, you know, they can talk to the candidate. And I wouldn't go for positions that are, you know, 70% of what you want. But if they're 90% of the salary you're seeking or something like that, you know, have the conversation, especially if you want the job. If you really like the job, have the conversation, and then, you know, at some point along the way, mention that your salary needs are above what their salary, you know, what they're willing to pay. And I would say that in, in many cases, if you sell the company on the fact that you are the candidate that's going to make a difference for them, that companies are now willing to be more flexible in what they're offering because they're realizing that the market dynamics have changed. Great. So I'm just curious what, I mean, 18 months seems like a pretty small window to me. Is there something you can point at or is it just an accumulation of events, circumstances? Yeah, I would say it's, 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 a, it's an accumulation of events, but it also is a bit of a timing thing in that, um, you know, the, the, our market is doing much better um, because as a result of the general economy, but also because adjustments have been made to NIH funding. Right. Um, I think also what you what you'll find is that a lot of people took, you know, what what we term compromise positions in the 2008 to 2011 or even 2012 time period. You know, they took a job that they were overqualified for because they needed a job. And those people are not yet ready to leave those jobs because they don't want to look like a job hopper. So what you've got, actually, is a very limited supply of talented people because some people are simply putting in their, not putting in their time, that's overstating it. Some people are reluctant to leave a job that they've taken in the last two to three years. So they're going to stay there because they want to have a nice, you know, productive stay on their resume. Um, which limits the talent pool, and as as companies are doing more and more hiring, there's actually a more limited talent pool than there might have been, you know, some years ago. And so, what you're seeing is a growing economy, a limited talent pool, which has shifted the dynamics of the hiring process. Right. Uh, no, that's that's fascinating to me because I'm looking at this thinking that you know the very best candidates who might have been hired in that 2008 2011 12 window there there's an activation energy or a cost to to even start looking for a new job so even if it wasn't the ideal thing for them now it's creating an opportunity for everyone else because they're not moving that's right there's the activation energy and then like i said there are some people that you know, A, maybe they like the job, so they don't want to leave. Maybe they also feel like they don't want to create that impression of hopping from one position to another quickly. Sure. Um, so, so for any number of reasons, the, the talent on the market is perhaps a bit more limited. And again, that's important for both the candidates and the hiring managers to know, is that there is a limited amount of talent that makes the candidates... Um, you know, worth more and, and able to really vet the job opportunities in front of them before they choose one. 
And for hiring managers, it, it might require rethinking your compensation plan and, or the, the um, specifics of what you're looking for in terms of experience and so forth. Right. Well, that's very helpful. So do you have any last nuggets of advice for either job seekers or hiring managers? That sounds like a pretty big one. but Yeah, no, actually, I, I have a number of pieces of advice that, that I tell people. First of all, um, a lot of people, they ignore requests from recruiters to network or talk. I would, I, when I was in sales and when I was a hiring manager, I always talked to recruiters because you never know when you might need or want those recruiters and, you know, creating a working relationship with someone that's highly experienced in the field can't be a bad thing. It can only be helpful. Um, a lot of people feel that, if, you know, responding to a recruiter is indicating that you're looking for a job when you're not. I would say responding to a recruiter and de developing a working relationship with that person can only reap benefits somewhere down the road. The other thing is that, um, you know, a lot of people would say, well, I'm not looking for a job. You know, I'm pretty satisfied. But if the job sounds interesting, I would say, again, the, the, there's, no, there's nothing to be lost by having a conversation either with the recruiter or the hiring manager or whoever it was that reached out to you. You might find after talking with them, the job is a lot more interesting than what you had thought. The company may be much different than what you know because the company may have done some you know, metamorphosis over the last few years since you last really looked at them. And so nothing to be lost by having a 30-minute conversation and very much to be gained. So I encourage people, have the conversation, then make a decision. Don't make a decision based on something you believe to be true or that might be old information. Um, you might learn something that's important and that, you know, makes you decide it's worth the harder look. You might decide not to spend the time pursuing it any further based on that conversation. But until you know more, I would never, sh I wouldn't shut the door on having conversations. Well, that sounds like good advice. It's hard to imagine not wanting to learn something about what's going on in your field, what people are looking for, or, uh, <clears throat> or even things that, that yeah, that, hiring managers find important even if you're not looking for a job for your own career that's right you might think i ought to be thinking about this because even though i have a job and it's secure i could do more if i got better at x right and and and, the, and that actually chris reminds me of one other thing and that is any job can feel secure but tomorrow an acquisition can be announced and suddenly your very secure job at Life Technologies or Adjoint or somewhere else can be less secure. So having those relationships with recruiters, with hiring managers, with people that you're connected to on LinkedIn, and having practiced the interviewing skills and job-seeking skills moderately, if not actively, um, if something happens, you're more prepared to move forward than other of your colleagues who have shut those doors and not really listened or talked. Yeah, that one resonates with me. I was at a company that was acquired by Agilent, and fortunately I found a job at Agilent, but um, not everybody did, and, and it's a stressful time. So That's right, that's right. And, and it's it, like anything, if, you, if, if you've got, if you've practiced behavior, um, if you've laid a, the foundation, for certain things, then when the time comes where you need it, you'll you'll be able to draw on it, and and it will be 
more productive if you sort of worked on those skills or worked on the networking that you need should the eventuality come come about that you actually need to look for a job or want to. Great. So, Jeff, this has been um, really helpful. I I learned a few things today, and uh, I'm sure my listeners did too. Where else or where should the listeners go to find out more about y- you and your business? So, of course, um, because I'm a big believer in LinkedIn, um, you can visit my profile on LinkedIn. I'll, um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can find it easily, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, the other thing is um, the website for my consulting is genovative-solutions.com and for the recruiting is biotech-recruiters.com. And there you can learn more about myself and my colleague Derek as well as the 20 or so um, openings that we have in commercial positions in life sciences. Um, and, of course, feel free to contact me. My contact information is front and center on my LinkedIn profile. Fantastic. Well, thank you again very much for this, uh, I think, a really interesting conversation. And I think um, this will be people will be very interested to listen to this one. Thanks, Chris. And, um, you know, the, I should add, and maybe you can work this in somehow, but my, my colleague and I both run a couple of different discussion groups that people can take a look at as well to see what's going on in, in the field. I run a, um, a sales and marketing group called um, Commercialization of Life Sciences, Life Science Products, and I, another group called um, Opportunities in the Life Sciences Market, um, Commercial Opportunities in the Life Science Market. And my, my colleague Derek runs a discussion group called Genomics Jobs. So they can, they can learn about positions um, or learn about things related to job hunting um, or, you know, interviewing skills, et cetera, um, on, on either of those or on any of those sites. And thank you, listeners, as always, very much for joining us. Remember that a rating or review on iTunes is very much appreciated, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.